The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Each business is unique and operated individually of others in the same industry. What they have in common is the potential path to success. Welcome to The Second Stage with your hosts, Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. In today's program, we'll address the obstacles that many businesses find on that path to success and discuss what entrepreneurs and their businesses are doing to stay ahead of the curve. Now, here is Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. Welcome to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and my tag team partner is on vacation, out on assignment, I should say, uh, in uh, the Dominican Republic. Um, we'll have to come up with some international topic to justify uh, his trip down there and write it off for tax purposes, but uh, he is down there on vacation, and so you're going to have to hang with me this week, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys give me good reviews. Uh, <laughs> uh, last week, I want to remind everybody uh, to check out that show. If you haven't already, we had our guest, Renee Bohr, who is a certified uh, EOS implementer. And EOS stands for Entrepreneurial Operating System. And the topic was make your management meetings meaningful. And what that means is what the podcast was about was what we call a level 10 meeting. And a level 10 meeting is at the end of the meeting, you actually go around the table and ask people to rank the quality of the meeting, 1 through 10, 10 being the greatest. And you're obviously always striving for you know, that level uh, 10 ranking, uh, which would suggest that you had a perfect meeting, which isn't uh, exactly easy to get because everybody's interpretation of a, a perfect meeting is, is different. But, uh, you know, this is entrepreneurial operating system is something that we actually run here at Evolution, and it's done wonders for us as an organization. It allows us to move faster. It creates a lot of transparency, a lot of accountability, a lot of goal setting, and that rigor and that cadence that it creates in your business and just the it just creates a structure around which your business can can operate so that it doesn't feel like you are uh, running in lots of fits and fits and starts and so on and so forth. So it's something that uh, you know we encourage our our partner companies and and companies that that we advise to. Uh, to run some kind of an operating system within the organization. There's certainly others out there like Rockefeller Habits and such. Uh, we have gravitated towards uh, EOS and have, have been very, very pleased. Uh, and there were uh, you know, some interesting points that he made um, that, that I would just quickly relay. Um, you know, for instance, uh, you know, one of the things that I always found very interesting was what they call the segue, which is the very beginning of the meeting. You're, everyone goes around the table and talks about something positive 
both professionally and personally. And it really, to them, because they feel like they've thought through all of these things, it's really about setting the tone for the meeting and also exchanging information about each other personally, which they believe uh, helps build a, a stronger team. And, and again, that's something that I didn't appreciate early on uh, and always wanted to set the tone uh, you know, by making uh, strong statements about professional uh, uh, goals that we had. But it's really about you know, much more than that. And it's something I've, I've learned to embrace. But a lot of this can be found in a book called Traction uh, by Gino Wickman. I would suggest that uh, everybody read the book and certainly listen to the podcast so you get a feel for at least what, what part of the, um, uh, you know, the, the program is about. This week's program is uh, preparing your company for sale or an outside investment. And our guest today is Tom Zucker, president and founder of Edgepoint Capital Advisors. And uh, Tom is somebody that is known to us, as many of our guests are, but not all. And Tom uh, is, you know, what we would call a, an intermediary, somebody that, that it, you know, represents uh, his uh, client to somebody like us that has capital to invest. And he's been very successful and he's been doing it for a long time. And I know I have his bio around here some, it's some, somewhere and I will share it with you at the right time. But, uh, you know, this is a, a very good topic. And I think that a lot of, um, you know, small business owners struggle with the expectations of an outside investor, you know, uh, uh, you know how to think about their own business and and present the best foot forward to to people from the outside and we're going to cover all of that you know with Tom when when he joins us uh but I also you know in this first segment particularly when I'm going solo I like to highlight you know people's work uh that we see out there in the community whether it's an article or a book or and sometimes uh selfishly things that we do but in this case I'm referring to a story by I'm going to ruin the name Jason Lukash uh in entrepreneur.com it's an article I can't tell from March 6th uh, five tips for picking the perfect partner, and I thought that they were actually uh, you know very very good. I'm going to uh, you know list out these these tips you know very quickly. The first is similar work habits, and this actually is really big and something I always compliment my partner Brendan on. I feel he feels the same way about me is when I'm working at 2 a.m. on certain critical issue to our organization, I know that I can text him at 2 in the morning and he's going to respond. And uh, you want to work with somebody that wants to work as hard as you because entrepreneurship is such a sacrifice both to yourself personally but also to your family. And you want to have somebody that's going to um, – be there for you to get stuff done. The second is financially and emotionally stable. As many of you small business owners know, uh, you know this is high test stuff. Uh, running your own business, and you want to make sure that somebody under duress can remain calm and continue to make solid, thoughtful decisions based on the facts. 
uh, and not on on emotion. Uh, and the financially stable is also very important because there are points in time where you may go out without income, or if you're making an investment in your business, you're going to go uh, with with less income. And uh, it really goes both ways. It's not just that they may uh, not have enough money. It may be that they've got plenty of money and uh, that certainly changes their philosophy. So if possible, find people that are generally in the same bucket uh, from an economic perspective as you are so that when you're making decisions, um, you don't have somebody putting more money into the business than you and can cause friction with regard to ownership, so on and so forth. Complementary skills is another great one. Uh, you, you know, Brendan and I came in our partnership thinking both of us were perfect and we quickly realized that there were certain things that he does better than I do and certain things I do better than him and you know getting back to the process that I mentioned earlier having a process really forces you to pick your responsibilities and when you start bumping into each other particularly if you have different styles it creates friction and lord knows you know there's been friction afternoons here at evolution and and we've gotten through those because of the recognition that we had complementary skills and also that we started to run a process uh, similar vision is another obvious one and i think a very good point and uh, you got to make sure that y- your destination is is the same uh, for all the for all the obvious reasons. And then finally, trust. Um, trust is is probably number five on this is number five on this list, but it's probably the most important thing. Uh, not only because of money, uh, but because of relationships. I know that if if my partner Brendan has a problem with somebody. Uh, it's for very good reason. Um, I used to, I've had other partners in the past where you were always concerned about their judgment and so on and so forth. So make a long story short, and why it's important in picking partners is there's so many challenges to a small business uh, and you're confronted every day with, with some new issue you really need to be outwardly focused and internally calm, meaning that you don't want to have to be worried about what's going on within your organization. That's the area where you can collect yourself and reflect and spend time with your partners and and help make the right decisions uh, and then ha- have a common approach to the outside. And I think when you're internally focused, you very quickly as an organization lose your way. And, um, you know, that's obviously a, a big problem. So getting back to today's uh, topic, which I said was uh, preparing your company for sale or outside investment. I want to share uh, Tom Zucker's bio. Uh, you know, He's one of these guys that he, he, he has very good intuition. He's been at it for 25 years. He's got a lot of great uh, experiences and very diverse. He's done everything from c- corporate divestitures to assisting closely held families uh, in ownership transitions. You know, prior to founding Edgepoint in 2000, uh, you know, he was a principal in a technology venture capital firm based in Ohio. Uh, he also has over nine years of experience providing financial and transactional consulting services at Ernst & Young and Arthur Anderson to a variety of different companies. He also serves on uh, several private and public boards as well as uh, part of the Association of Cor- Corporate Growth and is a proud alum of the uh, Case Western Reserve University, a very fine university. I also, uh, before we go to break here, I want to uh, make sure that I uh, – 
give um, uh, thanks to our sponsors, McGladry LLP. They're the leading provider of assurance, tax, and consulting services focused on small and mid-sized businesses nationwide with more than 6,700 people in 75 U.S. cities. And like any forum, folks, this is a show will be more effective and powerful if folks contribute their experiences and ideas. And I invite you today to continue the discussion from each week's show on our blog, which can be found at evolutioncp.com, or you can email us at the second stage at evolutioncp.com. And with that, we're going to take a break. Uh, for our, and, and when I come back, we'll be with our guest, Tom Zucker of Edgepoint Capital Advisors. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network this is davis love the third Ryder cup captain and team mcgladry member mcgladry is about building relationships that's the kind of team i want to be a part of a team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business the same attributes i look for and the partners i choose it's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions when you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance, tax, consulting. Game-changing technologies and strategies are transformational, exciting, and disruptive for a reason. They shake up your status quo. They get you thinking about new ways to scale, compete, and grow. They move you in amazing new directions. You're invited to take your coffee break with Game Changers on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time for our special series on today's top HR trends. Learn how you can become the savvy HR innovator who takes your company across the finish line as you look ahead to the next breakthrough human resources strategy. HR Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP on the Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and my partner, Brendan Anderson, is out this week. Uh, this week's topic is preparing your company for sale or an outside investment. And our guest this week is Tom Zucker, president and founder of Edgepoint Capital Advisors. Welcome to the show, Tom. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you. So you and I have known each other for probably at least a dozen years, and we've, we've uh, closed a couple deals together. Uh, very good experiences. I, I think uh, <laughs> you and I have talked before about the unique niche that you serve and the number of companies that you know, really are left uh, out with uh, the proper amount of equity and the proper amount of leadership that uh, Evolution provides. So it's been a really good positive experience. 
Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, you, you, you also serve a very important role for these uh, small to, to mid-sized businesses. And I wanted to have you on the show to talk about that because we've had a good experience with you as well. And, uh, you know, we're always referring small business owners uh, to people that we respect. So uh, we appreciate having you on the show. You know, um, it's interesting. Uh, I hear a lot of people out in the market today talking about, you know, it appears to be a, a seller's market and that pricing for companies in the market is at all-time highs. You know, wh- what is driving the market conditions and, and what are you seeing out there? This is probably the best market conditions that I've seen for a seller an awful long time. And it's a, it's the combination of a lot of very obvious facts. You know, obviously we have low interest rates, which are a very important medium in the M&A marketplace. We have relatively low historically capital gains rates, 20% federal. And then the other part that, that's really the, the untold story is, is the capital that's available chasing deals in the market. There's estimated north of $350 billion of undeployed private equity capital, of which Evolutions Fund would be part of that. And you know, that's a big part of the story. It's a time duration fund. Typically, they're ten-year funds, and these funds, you, know, you look at charts, were raised predominantly in 2007, eight. And what's happened because of the downturn is a lot of these people have dry powder that they're looking to deploy, and they're significantly bidding up transaction prices. That gets coupled with the fact that there's an awful lot of money still sitting on corporate balance sheets. Like one of the effects of the downturn was that you had a lot of people who became very skittish with the capital markets and began to take matters in their own hand and holding more money and capital on their balance sheets. That got further exasperated over the last several years as profits increased for many manufacturing companies, particularly here in the Midwest, as they failed to bring back people at a fast rate due to uncertainty. So all those things have led to today where there's an oversupply of money chasing too few of good deals and many of the companies that are thinking about selling are just that. They're still thinking. There's, there's, a, there's a shortage of supply of good companies in the market. And for smaller companies, you know, a transaction we're working on right now is a sub-$15 million revenue company. With EBITDA around $5 million, you know, it's pricing at north of seven times, which is a very significant purchase price for a lower middle market company. Right. And so for our, our, our listeners out there, when you say seven times, you're talking seven times cash flow or generally, which is, is, is EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, amortization. And that's seven years worth of current EBITDA. So in other words, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, if uh, you ran the business for seven years uh, at the same consistent level, that's how long it would be to kind of recover the cash flow that you've valued the business at today. Yeah, that's absolutely right. right. And I think if you, if you look historically, that number would have been you know, back in 2010 and 11, probably closer to the five and a half mark. Yeah. Five and a half times EBITDA. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Yeah, I to be honest with you, we're we're seeing businesses down in the one and a half to two range of EBITDA uh in that five and a half marker that you're you're talking about, the five and a half EBITDA. So yeah, it's uh salute to it a little bit there, Jeff, which is you know, it's a very important thing for a business owner to understand. There are there are definite inflection points where multiples increase because of 
abundance of capital, the amount of buyers and sophistication of buyers, and just general demand. So in, in the sub $3 million EBDA companies, we find multiples are lower than the $5 million and above EBDA companies. And that's, a, that's an inflection point that many owners certainly would like to get to the north of five, but you know, often struggle because of growth, operational, or family needs. Right. And for right. us, it's, it's a meaningful difference, and that's a, a big part of a thesis of many of the buyers that we have that are financially oriented is that they believe they can do what's necessary to grow it to north of a $3 million EBDA company to get that arbitrage on the multiple. Yeah, and that's something that's very much a part of evolution's you know strategy as we try to try to grow these businesses. You know, you made an important point here, uh, Tom, about capital availability, and that you know there's you know north of three hundred fifty billion dollars of uninvested capital with private equity firms, and that corporate balance sheets are flush with cash right now. And and traditionally, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know, corporations are always called strategic buyers, and strategic buyers were considered. Uh, they always had the ability to pay more because they had synergies and they could cut costs and so on and so forth to justify paying more than what you know a financial buyer, otherwise known as a you know a private equity fund. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And you know, the interesting part, you know, we're actually seeing leverage rates being around three point six times EBDA in 2013, as opposed to 2008 when it was three point three times. So we have a better debt market than the pre-recessionary times. And that's an indication that banks are aggressively trying to put capital out there, and they're looking at the M&A market as one of the primary places for growth. So it's a very encouraging market, which is a good thing from a seller's perspective. And you know, certainly it's one of the elements of deciding the timing of the sale of their business, which is value. You know, so we can right. conclude that value probably is at historic highs if your performance of your company is doing well. So, so say like I'm a business owner and, you know, I'm preparing to, you know, thinking about selling my company. What are the, what are the critical factors to consider when deciding to sell one's business? We, we focus most of our time in what we call privately held companies in the lower middle market space. And that's the sub $100 million company. And so most of these businesses were founded by an entrepreneur with a vision and a dream to build something, to grow something. Or it's a family business that's in the next generation. So, you know, one answer is always value, right? And, and most people start with that. Well, I'm going to sell for some number or some multiple. You know, the reality is most business owners of companies that are privately held, that isn't the primary driver of why they sell. Uh, most often they sell either because they, they fear what might be coming or they look forward to moving to something else in their life. So that next thing, that could be a, you know, a social organization that they want to get involved with, a religious cause, or just another business that has you know, a little more appeal to them. The other part of that is you know, what we've experienced, particularly over the last several years, is just the fear. You know, we're in a consolidating marketplace for many industrial companies where the large companies desire less suppliers. That creates pressure. Mm-hmm. We're an international marketplace these days, and the buyers of companies um, are looking to truly become international in scope. And it's a different business. It's much more challenging and difficult. And so those factors you know, typically lead to the fear. Boy, I fear that I won't be able to keep pace with the international game. Boy, I, I'm not really you know, as competitive as these other two vendors of the same large supplier. 
the same large customer. And, and so those things drive more often than you can actually think the decision to sell. And, and the last thing I want to highlight here is, is probably the most important. Um, most closely held business owners have a strong sense of community and a strong sense of gratitude to the people that help them get to the place that they're at today. And so they like to preserve the community, keep the jobs in small-town America, and really do the right thing from their perspective. And then often they've accumulated enough wealth that, you know, the wealth part is important, but the community, the giving back, the give to the employees, and these all become part of, you know, what we call strategies. The strategies might be let's do a management buyout and let the management team buy it, or let's do an employee stock ownership plan and let's let the employees in total participate in the wealth creation of this business. And that that is a very important fact that you know lower middle market investment banking firms like Edgepoint Capital really excel at finding those types of human solutions to why you might want to sell your company. So. Um you know, it's funny, you, you started with value and then you moved into the, these other issues. And so, you know, in your mind, you know, value is is not necessarily one of the top things that they think about or it is one of the top things that they think about. And then these other factors certainly certainly play into it. Yeah, I think we get most owners that the first dialogue usually starts with, I want to give the employees my business, Right. And we do an employee stock ownership plan evaluation or a management buyout. They look at the numbers. In some cases, it's higher, but often it's, it's a lower number. And, you know, they come back and say, well, I'd like to go test the market. I want to get as much as possible. And then they get the, the greed factor comes in, and they go through it. And then they get to the end, and they realize what they're doing. And, and quite often, you know, the greed, the money, the, the outcome isn't as important is actually taking care of the community or taking care of the employees. So it's really a, it's a very tumultuous time for an owner as they decide what they want to do. And, you know, again, it's one of those reasons why you want to make sure you have a skilled guide on the journey, you know, not only from a financial or a legal or a tax perspective, but an emotional perspective. Because it's really hard at the end of the day to make sure that your convictions as a person and your convictions as a business owner, that you actually deliver that in the final outcome. Mm-hmm. So when you're advising clients about value, how often are you talking? I mean, do they have a good understanding of what it means from an after-tax dollars perspective? Because what we found as buyers is with these entrepreneurs is they've got a number in their head that they need to retire. <laughs> and they, they haven't necessarily made the connection between what the after-tax implications are going to be, you know, escrow, holdbacks, you know, so on and so forth that might all play into a a negotiated deal. Yeah, that's a great point, Jeff. I mean, at the end of the day, every owner just wants to know one thing, which is, okay, when I when I wake up the day after I sell my company, what does my bank account look like? Right. And the second part <laughs> of that, is that enough for me to live my life on? And, you know, and this kind of goes to the integrated approach to, to really executing a, a transaction or a transition. If you don't have a wealth planner who's done a uh, evaluation of your current situation, your lifestyle, and what you need to go forward, and you decide to sell your business for some number, I'll never have certainty, and they'll never have certainty that it's enough. So we require, strongly suggest, all of our owners to have a formal financial plan conducted by a strong and you know, competent wealth advisor so that they can use that to help determine do they have enough money. 
Um, the second part of that is there's an awful lot of complex things that are going to start absorbing cash as you go into your transaction. You mentioned a couple of them. Now, one of them is working capital. One is an escrow holdback or uncertainties that may be associated with the purchase price for a certain time. And then the last part of that, you know, you might have an earnout or a note that's required to complete the transaction at the value that you want. And, you know, while most people will tell you get all cash, that's always a good thing, sometimes we get an excessively high valuation for you to carry a little bit of risk. And, you know, we think it's important to consider those. Certainly not an advocate, certainly not, you know, saying they're always bad. But, you know, we think that if you look at the net cash and you walk your client through the formal tax calculations, the way the escrow moves, uh, that's something that has to happen at the front side. So there's no surprises when you get to the end how much money's in the bank account. Yeah, and the earnout that you're talking about, another term for it would be seller financing, where the buyer is looking for a little deferred purchase price, if you will, you know, so that the or they're they're asking the seller to defer payment until they can, you know, let the company help pay off uh, some of the financing, uh, which certainly has tax implications and risk implications if, for whatever reason, the business doesn't perform as you would have hoped and they have trouble, you know, paying the seller off uh, the note that they had attributed to uh, the acquisition. Uh, What about, you know, we we see a lot of times when you have an actively growing company, and and we have one particular now where 2015 is supposed to be an outstanding year, and my owner wants to begin the sale process today to lock in on value, but he still wants the upside for what 2015 has to offer. In, In that particular case, you know, we're getting a six times multiple for the activity, and we're getting priced off of 2015's EBITDA, so the growth EBITDA. Wow. But a good portion of that you know, is, is in cash, and about one times the purchase price is coming in a contingent structure, which is that earnout that Jeff was referring to. As you say, uh, lofty, lofty times for a seller. Uh, and one last thing before I cut to break, um, transaction costs. I mean, how, how are you seeing that typically handled and, and what, what do you typically tell sellers to think about with regard to transaction costs? Okay. Uh, well, well, transaction costs come in many flavors, right? So if there's a lot of advisors that you're going to want to have to properly help you down the journey. You know, the, the first advisor that I think you need on your team is an investment banker. I think a qualified investment banker is a critical person to help guide you through the entire process. Uh, the second person, obviously, is a transactionally focused attorney. Um, transactionally focused attorney is obviously a bill by hour. Uh, typically, the, the cost, depending on the significance of the transaction, can be 25000 to several hundred thousand dollars, depending on what you have them doing. Uh, the investment banker, we go back to the cost for them, typically the majority of our fees are earned on a contingent basis. So if we deliver to you the certain dollar value that you're looking for as the company and the terms and conditions you're willing to sign, on the backside of that there's a contingent commission that we earn. And those can range anywhere from, I'll throw a number of 2 to 7%, but there's wide variations based upon the size and value of the company. The next group that gets involved that are critical advisors are your accountants. Typically, their, their strongest level of involvement is at the point of valuation expectations on the front. And then when the offers formally come in from the typical controlled auction process where you've gone out to multiple buyers 
and you're, you're evaluating the different offers that come in, you want to make sure your CPA is on hand to help evaluate net tax proceeds because it's a fairly complex calculation with your basis, but it's important to have a team approach. Uh, the last piece that really comes into play is your, your wealth advisor, your insurance provider, any of those people that might take an active role in the diligence side just to make sure that you know, as the buyer is buying your company that all of those elements have been properly reviewed and that you have good counsel to help you through it. And all those kind of I would lump into the transactional cost side, Jeff. That's great. I, that's a perfect summary. You know, with that, we're going to take a quick break from the second stage and be back with our guest, Tom Zucker uh, from Edgepoint Capital Advisors. And by the way, you can find Tom at www.edgepoint.com. And with that, we're going to take a quick break and be back for our third segment with our guest, Tom Zucker. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to the second stage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is our show, but it is a form, so we're looking for input from you so that we can benefit from everyone's experience. Don't be shy. Everyone has made mistakes, and believe me, Brendan has made them all here at Evolution, and I'm here to clean them up. Actually, just kidding. It's uh, all, all our mistakes are equally spread here at Evolution. I'm back with our guest, Tom Zucker, president and founder of Edgepoint Capital Advisors, and we're talking about preparing your company for sale or an outside investment. 
And I wanted to lead this segment off, uh, Tom, by talking about, you know, you, this is a pretty frothy market right now. And, you, you know, what's the, what are the best things that a seller can do uh, to drive premium valuations from buyers? Oh, that's a great question, Jeff. You know, it's probably the most common question that we get as we start preparing an owner for sale several years in advance. The first and most important step in all of this is to make sure that there's buyer competition. And we're a big believer that a disciplined process with multiple buyers at the table at the same time will certainly yield the best value that the market has to offer. And that, that, that might be a new topic or a new conversation that you know, many listeners have not heard before, but the ability to have a succinct memorandum and a qualified buyer list that's been approved by the seller and to use that to go out and actively sell to different buyers at the same time allows us to have the evolution capitals of the world all competing along with the strategic buyers for the best price. So discipline process is one. Probably the second most important thing that impacts value of a company is the quality of the management team. Time in, time again, we continue to find that the strong management teams, the people that, whether it's a private equity buyer or a strategic, can lean on, depend on to grow, to find that next opportunity that's latent inside their company, is the reason why a premium value gets paid. We've had times when you know, that, that person didn't exist, and the impact on value and the impact on structure was meaningful. Uh, other areas that you may want to consider that you know, really has a, particularly if, if you're looking at strategic buyers who would like to buy the business, is that defensible niche or segment. So what is it about your business that someone looks at and says, man, that is a great area that I, I never thought existed, and this is the number one provider in that particular segment. Or We have a unique skill or a unique machining size that says, I, I can do something that the rest of the market can't. That makes a buyer comfortable that when they wake up the day after you close, that the revenue will be there. And that kind of ties into the, the fourth item on the list, which would be, you know, let's talk about your customers. Customers have relationships with the salespeople. If the customer's primary relationship resides with the selling shareholder, I, as a buyer, don't feel awful comfortable that you know, day one after the close, they're going to continue to do business with me. And I'm not sure what kind of contract you have, but if you have contracts in place, that certainly provides me some comfort as a buyer. But the ultimate thing that really provides comfort for the buyer is a low customer concentration. If I have one or two or a handful of buyers that comprise more than 50% of my revenue, many buyers will not participate, will not offer, or if they do put an offer into business, it'll be contingent or with the earn-out concept that we talked about earlier. So low customer concentration. And the last piece, you know, many times, you know, you talk about why people are acquiring businesses today and why the demand is so high and the supply of companies is so low, is people are looking for growth. Organic growth has been uh, slightly difficult to come by these days. It's been challenging. So many people are turning to acquisitions, particularly larger companies, to say, if, I, if I'd like to grow in a segment rather than try and do it myself, let me do it through acquisition. And so that story of growth, how can you grow it, who's going to grow it, 
Uh, what markets can we go into? What products can we offer? What services can we offer? So if there is a strong opportunity to grow it, and there's a recurring revenue stream that a, a owner can depend, a seller can promise to a buyer, feel comfortable it's there. We find those are the most critical factors that often drive higher values. I think those are outstanding, and I would agree with every single one of the things that you said. I uh, I, I couldn't add or detract from it in, in any way, shape, or form to improve it. So that's a, a very good answer. So, you know, we've been talking about a lot of topics here, and you know, this is gets to the point in the show where my my head starts spinning, and I realize this is a really challenging and potentially complicated topic, and I say. Boy, I could really probably use a specialist in this type of situation. So, you know, what, what, why does somebody need, a small business owner need an investment banker? That's a, that's a, a great question. You know, it's certainly, the investment banker is an expensive consultant uh, that works on a contingent basis to deliver an outcome for you. Without it, you, you certainly have to not pay. You know, let's correlate this to the real estate market. It's always nicer to sell your home alone without having to sell it with a broker's fee attached to it. Unfortunately, the world of business, and particularly the world of you know, business M&A transactions, is much more complex than selling a home. Um, the attorney's roles that get involved with the transaction, the accountant's roles, and all the other roles that we have, there, there's one thing an owner really is looking for is certainty. And an investment banker who's qualified and has a you know, strong success track record provides an owner certainty as he goes on a very risky journey. The journey is I'm going to go out to my competitors and tell them I'm for sale. The journey is I'm going to tell a whole bunch of people that are close and trusted to me that I might not be here in a couple years. And you're really going to start changing the emotional culture, not only in your company, but also in the community and also in the uh, business marketplace that you serve. That risk is very significant, and particularly for the markets that we serve, that lower middle market sector, that is sometimes a critical factor. So you never want to let anyone know that you are for sale. Unlike selling your house where you put the sign out front and you say, gee, I hope they all come, and you take the offers that come in, there's no sign that goes in the front of your business. It's a confidential process that you have to preserve throughout the process. The other, the other last piece on why an investment banker, and you know, many years ago when I first started in this business, a seasoned investment banker told me, he goes, if you're a good investment banker, you're earned four times your fee in the savings that you provide for the selling shareholder. I scratched my head and I said, really? How could that be true? We, we, we get paid a decent wage for what we do. That's a lot of money. And every single transaction we've ever been involved with, I look at the end result for our client, what was promised on value, the fact that we exceeded the value, and whether it's purchase price allocation, you know, whether it's value through market auction process, whether it's tax structuring, structuring, or just generally making it a better deal for the shareholder, we've had a four times return on our fee that we've delivered for our client. That's a wow. significant factor. Yeah, that is that, and also you're you're saving them, and you know, so much time because of all the things you're pointing out, it is a very time-consuming process, and the the best way really to ensure a great result is the company continuing to perform, and that's really where 
the company owners should be spending their time. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 the biggest thing that hinders value is non-performance of the existing company during a sales process. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so how is an investment banker different than a business broker? Boy, I tell you, you know, that, that, that's a great question. We, we, we always get to, what, do you have, what are you listing these days? What, what's for sale? You know? Is there anything I can go check on a website? And, and, you know, that's the way a business broker operates. You know, they list businesses. They send out faxes and emails. It's, it's a broadcast methodology, and it's, it's not confidential at all. For companies that have EBITDA between 2 and $15 million of EBITDA, they don't want to be marketed that way. They can't afford to be marketed that way. And so an investment banker, you know, for example, in our firm of 12 professionals, we have JDs and CPAs and MBAs that are full-time dedicated to the sophisticated, complex selling process of privately held companies. Um, you know, whereas a business broker might have a real estate or an investment license that they do on the side. We think this is a very complex business, one that requires full-time dedication of good professionals. They both get compensated the same way, and they both are doing the same functional job, which is selling companies. But the process they go through is very different. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I've there is a different level of sophistication for sure. And, you know, what's so important is is helping the company put the best foot forward and uh, doing the analysis that shows why this company is so valuable. And that's, I, I do see on my end, that's something very significantly different between those groups is the amount of time that investment bankers uh, invest in advance in preparing the methodology uh, for the sale and, and creating the story that tells uh you know, why this company is valuable and ultimately drive that, that value up. As one investment banker told me, you know, we're looking for buyers that are true believers, that they believe that story and they have to have this business. And those are the people that they're looking for. Yeah, and the other part that's, that's different is that, you know, there, there's segmentation of the investment banking marketplace that's different. So the lower marketplace sub 1 million, sub 2 million of EBITDA companies, a lot of times the business brokers will serve that marketplace. The 2 to 15 is a, is a different middle market sector for M&A advisory. And the larger sector, which is really what I want to hone in on right now, it's, it's different. You know, I've had one investment banker who was doing deals north of 15 million of EBITDA said, man, I don't know what I would do with a $5 million EBITDA company. I don't know where I'd take it, who the buyers are. You know, at the end of the day, the investment banker's job is to make a market for your privately held company. In order to do that, you have to be a student of that market. Uh, we have a proprietary database that has over 9,300 buyers, family offices, private equities, strategic corporations. Every conversation we have with the buyer, we're tracking, we're documenting, and we're thoroughly scrubbing to find that new unique buyer for our next client. That is a different mindset than the upper, middle, upper marketplace where they become industry specialists, and you often have to be concerned, are they truly aligned with you, or are they aligned with the, the five buyers that they sold 10 companies to? Right. That's a great point. So uh, we're running out of time to say, but I did want to get to this very important uh, thought is about, you know, when should an owner begin the process 
uh, of thinking about you know taking on outside investment or putting their company up for sale. So as you look at the decision to sell, if let's use age as the determinant for this conversation right now. If I know that at age 65 I'd like to be on a beach relaxing and not be responsible for the employees of my company, you know, we believe that you, know, you should at least let, allow two to three years prior to that to provide the optimum amount of number of options and give the optimum amount of time for a proper transition. Hmm. So if you are 60 years old today and it takes us six months to sell your company, you probably would want to begin the process when you're sometime where you're 61 or 62 so as to consummate the sale by 65. The important piece of this is most often in smaller marketplaces, smaller companies, the owner is still a critical part of the company, and you need to have the proper amount of time, whether real or perceived for the buyer, so that they feel that you're going to be around to help them. That's and a great point. It's a very good point. And, and I agree. I mean, not only the transactional stuff like we talked about before, the escrow and holdbacks and seller financings, but the, the dependence of these small companies on the founders and that they're not going to be abandoned by these founders once uh, the founder is uh, not the, the primary owner of, of the business. Um, Tom, outstanding. And you were very thoughtful in your, your answers and I think very easy to follow. And, and I want to thank you for being on the second stage. Uh, as I said to our listeners before, Tom is uh, the president and founder of Edgepoint Capital Advisors, and he can be found at www.edgepoint.com. I can sell you for certain that uh, he does an outstanding job and uh, someone that we have a great amount of respect for as, as a investor in these small companies. So, Tom, thanks for being on the show. Jeff, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You're welcome. And with that, we're going to take a pause for a short break and we'll be back to talk a little bit more about this topic. Thanks for tuning into the second stage. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Davis Love III, Ryder Cup captain and Team McGladry member. McGladry is about building relationships. That's the kind of team I want to be a part of. A team that builds deep understanding of each client's vision and unique way of doing business. The same attributes I look for and the partners I choose. It's this understanding that enables you and me to make confident decisions. When you trust the advice you're getting, you know your next move is the right move. This is the power of being understood. This is McGladry. Assurance Tax Consulting. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to The Second Stage. 
To reach the hosts or their guests today, call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to thesecondstage at evolutioncp.com. Now, back to Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson. Welcome back to the show, The Second Stage. This is Jeff Cadlick, and my tag team partner, Brendan Anderson, is on vacation. And we're with our guest, Tom Zucker, president and founder of Edgepoint Capital Advisors. And I tell you, this job of talk, it's not even a job, it's a passion. I'll say that. I know my partner agrees with that. This passion of getting to talk to people that are either small business owners, entrepreneurs, that serve that community. I I really benefit from uh, participating in this show and and people like Tom make it so easy because he's very thoughtful and measured in his responses and how he enumerated a lot of his answers uh, makes it easy for, for listeners, uh, including myself, to follow uh, you know, with what what he's saying as a specialist, I got to tell you, uh, I like uh, is normally the case. I learned uh, on this show. I mean, um, I thought some of his responses, you know, about you know driving value, uh, premium values. I you know he hit the the nail on the head uh, with buyer competition and discipline process was one the quality of the management team uh, he listed as two and I don't think he meant it necessarily in this order but this is how he he described it uh, defensible niche uh, was three customer uh, quality and really it was really customer concentration was what he was talking about low customer concentration and then finally growth uh, and particularly organic growth and and uh, recurring revenue. And, you know, in my mind, I could summarize some of those points into predictability. When I when people ask me about what drives value for small businesses, it's predictability. And um, uh, when the when the buyer knows that the day after when they own the business, that the lights are going to come on and the phones are going to ring, that's a very reassuring uh, feeling. And uh, I think a lot of people would be surprised uh, to know that as buyers, you get so caught up in in, in the diligence and the transaction and the um, uh, you know verifying having verif- verification conversations with suppliers and customers that the day after you own the business is a very different time because you haven't in many cases not in the case of evolution by the way but in many cases a buyer they haven't spent the time thinking about what am I going to do the first day week month quarter, 100 days, uh, one year that, that I own this business. And um, so anyway, getting back to, to the point, I also thought, uh, you know, his comments, Tom's comments about the timing there at the very end, the two or three years is really the time frame that you need to start thinking about when you sell the business. And it's not, and I, again, his point was right on about these small businesses are um, uh, very reliant on the founders for their success. And, uh, 
you know, there's going to be restrictions by the buyer that the seller doesn't just run away. Now, oftentimes strategic buyers don't need that person, uh, you know, for obvious reasons already participating in that industry. But financial buyers for sure are going to want to make sure that 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 uh, that seller is lingering around for a period of time to ensure a, a smooth transition. So it's not just the managerial business management side, but it's the transaction side. We're seeing more and more investment opportunities where the valuations are getting driven up and the only piece that can fill the void from a financing perspective is is seller financing and those seller financings can be anywhere from you know 12 to 36 months uh, and and that requires the the uh, the seller's attention because they have risk capital on on the on the uh, on the table. You know, some of the other things we talked about on the transaction side was just the escrows and the holdbacks, and those can last upwards of eighteen months. And and what an escrow is, is essentially, as the seller, you're representing and warranting. The key part is warranting the rep that things are the way you say that they are. And if they aren't, uh, then the buyer has the opportunity to come back to you, uh, uh, you know, to, to get uh, compensated or reduction in purchase price or redress for um, warranties that they feel or reps they feel weren't um, uh, represented accurately. And so an escrow is money that's set aside from the pr- sale proceeds at close so that the buyer doesn't have to run all over uh, the country trying to track down the seller or sellers uh, to get their money back. And so uh, that's uh, you know another another consideration out there. You know, as far as you know, the driving the 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 market today. You know, low interest rates, uh, low capital gains is certainly the case, and the dry powder. These are all affecting what we're seeing in the market, and I'm definitely seeing valuations increase, as, as I had mentioned uh, before. And then finally, I thought his comments about fear and looking forward to something new and the strong sense of community. These aren't necessarily things that I see as a buyer, uh, but he sees as a representative of the seller that uh, I thought was interesting. And the last thing before we take a, 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 a sign off for the day is, is just you really ought to have an investment banker or some representative to help you sell their business because you have to run your business. And the best way to derail a successful sale is for the company to not perform. So you're better off running the company as best you can and letting somebody that's an expert in this field, particularly a very complicated process uh, um, and with a lot of administrative elements associated with it, run that deal. And so I highly encourage you to reach out uh, to a a sophisticated uh, um, buyer. Now, to be honest with you, from a buyer's perspective like me, where I feel like I'm an honest guy and a hardworking guy and I know the market because I invest in companies all the time, I would say to you, uh, you don't need a broker, but go find a very good accountant and a very good uh, attorney that does this for a living every day. Uh, Don't get your neighbor or somebody like that that's reading their law books uh, to get caught up on, you know, 
what a typical M&A transaction is like. That will be the best money uh, that, that you spend is on uh, having those experts around you as you try to, to sell the business. So with that, I want to thank you for tuning into the show about preparing the company for sale and outside investment. Um, we uh, hope you uh, join us again next Monday at 5 o'clock Eastern, and we want you to have uh, passion for possibilities. You know, We want you to think about what your organization could be and always remember, again, to have passion for possibilities. Have a great week, everyone, and remember to just get started. Thanks for tuning in to the second stage. Thank you for tuning in this week to The Second Stage. Please join Jeffrey Cadlick and Brendan Anderson again next Monday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And have a successful week.